Hello and welcome back to Long Ball Football. We're listening to the 11th episode of our podcast with myself, Albert, and my brother, Barney. How's things going, Barney? How's your week been? Yeah, not bad, man. Um, I've got like a slightly football-related story if you want to hear it. So um, I, this week I started um, this treatment for my uh, psoriasis, this skin condition I have. And basically uh, I go in this ultraviolet uh, sunbed. Okay. Uh, so I've got to go three times a week to the hospital. Um, and on my letter, it sort of explained everything you've got to do for the preparation. So essentially, I'm, I'm naked, um, but you've got to wear a jock strap. And if, or if you don't have a jock strap, you can wear a, a, a black sock. So I think, um, <laughs> I think it's to do with the rays or something like that. Okay, fair enough. Um, but as you well know, Albert, every Christmas, the one thing I always ask for is uh, colourful socks from Uniqlo. <laughs> so yes. rummaging through my sock drawer. I couldn't find a black sock. Uh, so I had to go to my sports bag and I had a Juventus football sock. Uh, that was the only black sock I could find. <laughs> so um, <laughs> the thought of wearing that into the... Anyway, I managed to get a trainer sock from Beth and it all worked out. But... <laughs> what about you, And How are you? Uh, much less dramatic week, actually, for me, Barney. The main source of excitement for me was obviously uh, the announcement that in the UK, at least, uh, football fans are going back to the stadium. In limited numbers so uh, I'm very fortunate to be a late Orient season ticket holder which means I have access to the ballots for each game we're allowed 2,000 fans in the stadium uh, for each game so I'm super excited at the prospect of um, going back to the stadium finally I feel like we've all become unfortunately accustomed to the lack of football and, and how things have changed I was thinking about the fake sound noises when you're watching the games on the TV they really mask over the fact that fans aren't there you sort of forget um, there is a real lack, a real lack of presence in these games. I think Portugal, they had a f- few fans back a few weeks ago. I think they're in a sort of lockdown now as well again. So yeah, I believe so. Well, I'm, ha- I'm really happy for you, man. I was hoping we get to go see um, Harrogate away at some point. For anybody who doesn't know, uh, I record this in London and Barney records in Newcastle. Uh, I'd booked tickets to go and see Carlisle away. And that was, I remember that being on one of the first weekends of... Uh, the whole coronavirus outbreak back back in February and oh yeah that nearly happening but yeah the idea of going back to the stadium is going to be so exciting I mean some of the lengths that the um, TV companies have gone to to try and inject some kind of atmosphere into the games has been unbelievable I remember watching before we started doing this podcast and before we were watching Portuguese football so closely I was watching a game on free sports at the end of the last season I believe it was like a one-one draw going into the last three or four minutes and one team was going for a winner and the tv company were playing like dramatic music over the over over the uh over the footage of the game and i couldn't believe it I, i'm not sure if i dreamed that to be honest if anybody can confirm for me that that was indeed the case please get in contact uh email us at longballfootball at gmail.com or get us on twitter at longballfootball i'm pretty sure that was real and not a dream <laughs> i've got one of those man i've um the one that I always ask my mate is, I, I swear there was a picture of Emil Heskey with bleached hair, but I've never been able to find a picture. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's not strictly Portuguese football related, but get in contact if you can confirm that anyway. <laughs> well, listen, look, we want to talk about something serious for a moment because on this podcast, we always like to start with the news of the week, uh, finding the interesting news stories that from Portuguese football this week. And unfortunately... This week, the important news story uh, is the very sad news that seasoned Premier League manager Vitor Oliveira sadly passed away at 67 years old. He's somebody whose main successes were before our time, Barney, before we really followed this league. But 
we just wanted to comment on it because there's been such an outpouring of grief, uh, certainly online, that we've seen that we wanted to make the effort and to look into who this guy was and what he was all about. Well, yeah, when you look into him, he's such a decorated manager. Um, he's got a lovely nickname, Albert, uh, the King of Climbs, mainly because he's won a promotion to the Premier League uh, 11 times, um, wow. which is completely remarkable. Um, most recently did it with Passos um, in 2019, but he's also been at uh, clubs we're familiar with, uh, Gil Vicente, Porto Menendez, Riav, Belenens, Braga, uh, Vittorio Grimrish. And um, he started his managerial career as a player coach for Feminist Al. I saw, because um, of course, with all that success, Albert, he was rumoured with uh, some of the big clubs at, at some point throughout his career, like Sporting Porto. But I saw a quote from him in an interview he did where he was essentially saying, he just loved the fight of promotion in in that league, the second league, and he that was what meant more to him. And I, I really respect that because mm. he could have gone for a bigger job, but he, perhaps he just knew what he was he was good at. And I mean, eleven promotions is that's a real achievement. I love that quote from him. I mean, says so much about the man. And as we mentioned, not somebody, unfortunately, that we had the pleasure of watching as a manager, but just something we wanted to touch on because because it's such a tragic story about a man who achieved so much in this game that we've grown to love. Well, we should crack on and talk about some football, Barney, because we've been without Premier League action for three weeks now, thanks to the international break, and there is so much to catch up on. But I wanted to start this podcast this week with Braga, because with all the drama around Benfica and Porto, with sporting flying so high in the league, it's been really easy to overlook them, who, after a pretty shaky start to the season, let's not forget, currently find themselves second in the Premier Premier League, uh, and they're also second in the Europa League group with a good chance of progressing. So you have to say it's been a great season for them so far. They're fast becoming my favourite team to watch out with. I think Carlos Carvels, they play such an attacking way. I mean, both their fullbacks are usually right up there, like either side of the, the front two or three. No, I really enjoy watching them. Well, when you look at some of the players they've got, Barney, it shouldn't really be a surprise that they're doing so well. I mean, this is a strong squad. They've got a Portuguese international up front in Paulinho. And while he hasn't had the most outstanding goal return so far... Uh, definitely shown his quality. Players like Galeno, uh, Ricardo, and Andre Horta. Even Nico Gaitan, when he's played for me, Barney, showing some creativity. I think particularly uh, Galeno has impressed a lot of people, including myself. He's a fantastic winger. Uh, in midfield, uh, Ali Almazrati won man of the match against Ferenz in their game on Sunday night. Uh, Nuno Sequeira in defence was called up to the national team in the first international break as Gaia at right back has been fantastic. Uh, it's a really strong squad, Barney. And I want to talk about that game against Leicester, Barney, because during the week they drew 3-3 with Leicester in the Europa League. And I thought they were really unlucky not to win that game. They were the better team for most parts of that game. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, I thought in the first half they were sort of brothers sort of their worst enemies. They That sloppy goal, um, the first equaliser from Leicester, uh, which was actually Ali Mirzorati's fault despite him getting that. Beauty of the first goal. I think they disappointed me a little bit the first time they played Leicester. They lost quite badly. Mm. Um, but this performance for me really sort of showed that they can they can play against the big boys. I mean, Leicester are a decent team, man. A decent Premier League team. And they had to bring on their big boys as well um, to get the draw, I think. Valier, they brought Vardy on, they brought Madison on. But also some of the passages of play, man, they're so beautiful. They're just carving that Leicester defence apart. And I was really impressed with this display. I mean, like you say, they should have won. They should have managed to get those points over the three points over the line. Yeah, and it's a point that secures their second place in that Group G with two games left. They're four points clear of AEK Athens and they're still yet to play Athens again. So if they get a win against them, you really feel like they will push on into the next round of the Europa League which would be fantastic for them this season. And that form has also been replicated in the Primera Liga. And they got a 1-0 win against Firenze on Sunday night, Barney. Ali Almazrati 
with the only goal of that game. He also got the Man of the Match award. Uh, but that wasn't the easiest game for them. Friends looked pretty good. They showed another spirited performance that we've seen from them a few times. I thought they had a goal ruled out for offside, which was an awful decision. Oh, why do you think that? Oh, I couldn't believe that one. There's no way for me is that a pass when he's... Oh, I disagree, man. Really? I can see what you mean, though, because it's one of those ones where it's like a tackle. I, yeah, I know exactly where you're coming from. But uh, I think I'd be if I was Braga, I'd, I'd be aggrieved if that was given. For me, it's never offside. I mean, it's just not a pass. It's a deflected challenge that falls into the path of Ryan Gould, who, who not for the first time will feel aggrieved by VAR this season. But yeah, another point which puts Braga second in the table, as we mentioned. Uh, Benfica is still to play, of course. They'll play tonight as we record this. But yeah, fantastic form for Braga, who have definitely gone under the radar this season. Yeah, I think um, in this game, Rafael Defendi, the French goalkeeper, was probably their best player. He made a lot of saves, so they they could have got a few. Um, I thought Castro looked really good, both of them two in midfield when they played together, all by themselves, Ali Mastre and him. I really like Ricardo Horta as well. I think he was injured the last two games in the league. Um, it's great to have him back. He's he's showing a real bit of class. Um, I think you're right to mention Rafael Defendi, Barney. I was close to giving him man of the match, to be honest. If it had stayed nil-nil, he would have been my man of the match, but... It was Ali Al-Mazrati who walked away with the Man of Match Award. I'm going to do something we don't usually do often, but I'm going to play you a video. Have you seen this? No, this is, was it? This is Ali Al-Mazrati's post-match interview with Portuguese TV when he's been given the Man of the Match Award. Ah, oh, cool. Just to set up the context, the interviewer starts his interview in Portuguese. I'm not sure what level of Portuguese he thinks Al-Mazrati is at. And then goes on to say, I'm going to start in Portuguese and then carry on in English. Uh, and this is how it went. Que vai falar em português, ou tentar falar um bocadinho em português. Depois, Ricardo Horta, how do you feel about this prize? And after this is a goal for Sporting Braga. Thank you and good luck. That is brilliant. Oh man, he's so cute. Short and sweet. <laughs> Literally, that's me every time I go to Portugal and I try and ask like someone in the supermarket how much something costs and they start telling me their life story and I'm just like, I cannot deal with this. <laughs> I, in all seriousness though, he, he has really impressed me with the performances he's putting in the central midfield. And I think the job that Carlos Carvel is asking those midfielders to do is quite hard, particularly with how attacking the fullbacks in that you know, they are literally up to cover defensively but also be up there. And his two goals he's taken in the last few games are absolute screamers, like really good finishes. Let's not forget that he was a new signing this season as well. So a great bit of scouting by them too. I think he was with Rio Ave last year. One player I do want to ask you briefly about Barney though is David Carmo, the young centre-back from Braga. Anybody who's listened to our podcast for a few weeks will have heard the last time we discussed him and uh, it's safe to say we weren't too impressed. That was in their 1-0 win over Vittorio Gamarais where he was sent off for what was a really horrendous challenge on Marcus Edwards. It led to a bit of a punch-up. Uh, but since then, he's served his ban, but was singled out by Brendan Rodgers in the lead-up to the Europa League game as having, and I quote, all the requirements to play in the Premier League, which surprised me. So I just wanted to ask, uh, what do you make of him? Well, I'm not so sure about um, Premier League. He's obviously got age on his side, but he's not that quick. He's, he's a, he is a big physical presence, though. And I think he's in a good back line. I think he's got players around like Bruno Viana and, um, and Rolando who are going to obviously make him better. Um, but no, I... I don't know. I haven't really seen anything this season so far. Yeah, I think it's fair enough to say I haven't really seen it yet. Obviously, there's a reason why we're not working for the scouting department of Leicester. But yeah, I haven't really seen that star quality so far that people have been talking about. No, and I mean, it's not only Leicester as well, isn't it? Man U rumours knocking about a little while ago. Like, mm -hmm. it's constantly linked with people. So yeah, I just haven't seen enough yet myself. 
Well, elsewhere in European football this week, Porto continued their fantastic Champions League run. They beat a pretty woeful Marseille team 2-0, uh, and that puts them firmly in second place in their Champions League group with nine points ahead of Olympiacos with only three, and with only two games left to play. It's a credit to them because they performed really strongly in a group which could have been a very, very tricky group. Yeah, uh, remarkably well, and it has actually surprised me a little bit because the points they've lost to less teams so far in the league this season is... Um, I was sort of expecting some of these teams in this group to um, nick points off them as well, but they've been fantastic in the Champions League, really good. Grujic and uh, Malang Sarr started in this game against Marseille and I thought they did all right. Uh, Sanusi's impressed me this one, actually. I've, I was critical of him um, last time I watched him play, but um, I thought he looked really good this one. Uh, he did well to stop uh, Florian Tovan, probably Marseille's best player. There was quite a lot of headlines after the, this game because obviously he got a goal and he had a good performance. He was playing in the third tier two seasons ago. That's amazing. Now he's doing it in the Champions League. So uh, great credit to him for seamlessly making the jump within a couple of years. Like a... That's a really fantastic story. And they did reasonably well in the league as well this week. Barney beating Santa Clara uh, 1-0. It's a win that puts them third in the Primera Liga. Porto, for me, have been a little bit up and down this season. I think it's been tempting with all the drama going on around Benfica, which we're coming on to in just a moment, uh, to conflate that with Porto and kind of see them as quite a turbulent team as well. But in reality, to be third in the table at this stage, admittedly four points behind the league leaders, but but there's still plenty of games left in this season. There's plenty of opportunity for them to churn out some more results. With Pepe coming back, I think they'll only get stronger. And they've got so much quality and depth that I don't think there's too much for them to be worried about. Oh, yeah. I mean, Conscious I was putting a lot of pressure on this game against Santa Clara, um, sort of saying it was like a final. They obviously didn't want to lose any points again. I think you could tell in the way they played as well and the, the amount of pressure he was putting on them. And the players were working really hard. I've never seen Luis Diaz track back as much as he did. Really nice goal from him, by the way, in this. Did you see it? The, the bicycle kick. I did, yes. Fantastic goal. But towards the end of the game, like, they they really put the brakes on and they were, they were holding, they really were just holding out for the win. The substitutions were quite positive, but the the tactics were literally the last 10 minutes was getting everyone behind the ball. They didn't really break Santa Clara down too often as well. Um, and I think it was just sort of evident that they were so concerned about getting this three points over the line. They weren't keen to take many risks. They shared the fouls out as well. Um, they were quite clever with that, I think. They were just not letting Santa Clara really break or get, get any attacking moves together as such. And um, and then, yeah, Malang Saar for me, he had a really good game again alongside Mbemba. Um, you mentioned Pepe coming back from an injury soon. Whose place does he take, do you think? Well, for me, I think Chancellor Mbemba is still the better defender than Malang Saar. So for me, it would, it would be Pepe and Mbemba. But if Malang Saar can, as you say, he had a good game against Santa Clara. So to have that third option will you know never be a bad thing. But I think for me, Chancellor Mbemba is still the better defender. I'm not so sure, but I think, um, I think having a left-footed centre-back on that side is better for the, for them, particularly with Sanusi bombing on. I think I know it's quite a simple thing to say, but just someone who can pass up that wing rather than a right foot player, I think it's quite valuable. I think it's going to be, I think it is going to be interesting when Pepe's back just to see whose pace he does take. Because like yeah, Mbemba's been in there the whole season basically. Oh, I know they brought in a lot of uh, players from the Premier League. I'm actually surprised that it's Gruzic getting the amount of game time he is. But what I think is quite interesting is, and what I think Contras are perhaps looking at, he's got a little bit of edge, he's got a little bit of nastiness to him. I think they need that in that midfield because, like I said, I've, you hear people talk about the bit the top teams doing it. Like, even like Pep's Man City, they foul well. They know when to foul, when to break up play, passages of play. And I think Grudzic is one of those players who can do that. And um, obviously, you don't want to play against Senoff every game. But 
I do think he's going to. He could be quite important for them, giving that bit more solidity in that midfield. Well, obviously they lost Danilo in the summer, and I think he was that enforcer role who did that job for them before. Uh, so yeah, I think absolutely no harm in having that type of player back in and around the squad. Uh, looking at Santa Clara, I think there was just a lack of quality for me in the final third. They had a few chances. Uh, Santana was a bit of a threat in the box. Ramos, their right back, got up a few times past Nuzzi and put a few crosses in. But other than that, there wasn't really any real quality. Um, they brought Lincoln on as well, who I've been excited to see, but they brought him on late into the second half. Um, he did add a bit more creativity. But it was just some poor choices for me. Um, not the right pass played. Um, Santana did just to get a little frustrated at the parts. Um, it's now two losses in a row now. They obviously lost to Tondea before the international break. It's a little dip in form. But um, they've got National next weekend, so I think they'll get something from there. I think the main thing from this game for me watching it was Porto just seemed a little bit more street smart. They're almost a little humble, you know, to sort of sit back and get the points over the line. They didn't push too hard for the second. They just knew they had their goal just to get these three points. And I think that's, they've got to do a bit more of that the rest of the season because it's literally got to be about getting points on the board now. As we record this, it's 7pm on Monday, and that means Benfica are kicking off against Maritimo, and a win would put them back up to second in the league, so it's not all bad news for Benfica, but it was another very shaky performance in the Europa League for them against Rangers, a game which ended 2-2 but saw Rangers two goals ahead for the first 80 minutes uh, until an unlikely comeback. But this game was awful, and Benfica were shocking. <laughs> There's no other way that I can put it. I don't really know how to go about analysing this because <laughs> it seems like we do the same every every week almost at this rate. Um, absolutely bizarre starting 11 for me. Mm. I couldn't believe Chiquino was in there next to Gabriel in the centre mid. And then it was just I, the same old story. Completely bizarre choice to start Chiquino. I mean, this is an attacking player who hasn't, who's barely started any games this season, needs the confidence. And what does George Jesus do? Sticks at minute centre mid. Anyway, We'll come on to that in just a moment. But just to talk about this game, Benfica were passing the ball around pretty well, but in my opinion, created absolutely nothing. I'm not sure how long it was before they had their first shot on target, but they offered nothing going forward. And worse than that, Barney, they made it so easy for Rangers' goals. The first goal was an absolute disgrace. Not only was it comedy defending, but go back, please, just go back and watch the highlights of that goal and focus on Gabriel. Not the centre-backs, focus on Gabriel. In that moment... He epitomised Benfica's performance because the back four are there, scrambling around in the box, trying to clear the ball, and he's just there, ambling, without a care in the world, into the edge of the box, while Scott Arfield stands there, unmarked, waiting for the ball to drop to him for a tapping finish. It was disgraceful. I think if I was the manager, I would have taken Gabriel off after that. And for me, that's really the problem at Benfica because they have some real talented players in their team. Everton's got 16 caps for Brazil. Rafa and Pizzi have got 35 Portugal caps between them. Pizzi scored 30 goals in all competitions last season. You've got Vertonga and Grimaldo, Vorgmitz, Seferic, Odysseus. These are all great football players, bags of talent and experience, but the team at the moment are in disarray. And I cannot help but point the finger at the manager. I'm not sure. I was really trying, I really struggled with this sort of analysing this game afterwards because in the last two Rangers game, I still think you've got to give credit from getting back in this game. But how much that is to do with Jorge Jesus and how much that is to do with the players. I think Goncalo Ramos, when he came on, I think that was a good substitution. He, he looked good. He, he was a bit different. I'm going to obviously bring Pizzi on as well. 
Well, look, the thing for me, Barney, is that I think he's wasting players. He's wasting the best talent they have in that team. Everton is being asked to play wide left in a midfield four, sort of getting up and down the wing, putting balls into the box, which he does fairly well. But really, this is a player that should be on the left of a front three, you know, beating players in one-on-ones, cutting in, shooting on his right foot. He's asking Chiquinho and Pizzi to play in central midfield. Let me just reiterate what I said before. Pizzi scored 30 goals in all competitions last season. And George Jesus is playing him in a midfield two alongside Gabriel or Terrapt. I mean, the Benfica midfield is a problem in and to itself. It is so unbalanced. I don't think you need a UEFA Pro license to see that a midfield of Pizzi and Terrapt or Chiquinho and Gabriel is unbalanced. I mean, even Gabriel doesn't offer you much more defensive stability than Surratt. And it just begs the question, why isn't Weigl playing? And why is Florentino on loan at Monaco when these are both players who would offer that more defensive stability in midfield? And just to make one last point on JJ, you said he looked very animated uh, on the touchline. If you watched the whole game in full, you would have seen when Benfica are 2-0 down, he's standing on the touchline with his chin in his hand, watching the game go by. It's not until Benfica got their two goals back when they decided to start giving it all the arm waving and shouting and stuff. And obviously, look, we don't know what goes on behind the scenes. We can only judge based on what we see. But for me, George Jesus has got three things wrong at the moment. Questionable recruitment, questionable team selection, and questionable man management. Let me encapsulate that, Barney. After the game, he was interviewed about the goalkeepers. Helton started in goal for this game. And he said in an interview post-game that, I told Helton before the game, you can be the best player on the pitch, but Odysseus will start the game against Maritimo next week. I mean, what is he doing trying to motivate his players in that way? And I thought um, Helton was a little flappy in parts in in this game as well. And I would be because, you know, I I would be second-guessing. I don't know what the manager's saying to me. I'd be thinking, oh, I've got to do... There's just part where he sort of seems to be trying to do more than he needs to be. Yeah. It's a really peculiar character for me, Albert. I... I think um, also you saw at the end of the game, Jared. There was a sort of the fist bump at the end of Jared, and there's something going on there as well. Wasn't happy, was he? No, not at all. I mean, the way Rangers would just nick the ball and just be away in this game was—they you know, had so many chances they really should have won it. Another decision for me, Albert, like you mentioned, Jardel at centre back. When he came on last game against Rangers, Ryan Kent was having him on toast. <laughs> <laughs> and then you start in this game and the same thing happens. The whole, like, he had no legs. He did not keep up with Ryan Kent at all. No sign of Ferrer, of course. Yeah. Um, who I would bet a lot of money on this faster than Jardel. Mm. Obviously, Otamendi was injured. But even... Uh, How many minutes on this podcast have we dedicated to that Benfica defence party? <laughs> so many, man. So many. And I don't want to touch on it too much, but you bring up Ferrer and I think that's a great point. I'm just questioning who's in charge of de- recruiting this Benfica defence because look, Ruben Diaz leaves, fair enough. He was always going to leave. It's part of their business model. They sell youth products for a big profit. But where's the continuity? Because they signed for Tongan, fair enough. I still think that's a good signing. He was a free agent, bags of experience, uh, more than good enough to play at this level. Let's not go into Otamendi. We've spoken at length at why we think he's a bad signing. But you've got Jean-Claude Todibo, a 20-year-old centre-back coming on loan from Barcelona. One, why are they loaning in young centre-backs? And two, when they have loaned him in, why is he not playing? I mean, maybe he arrived injured or something like that. But then why are they signing an on-loan 20-year-old centre-back who's injured when they sign him? And by the way, they signed him right at the end of the window. I mean, it doesn't scream of a signing that they had planned for a long time. Ferro is a player who I know, I know, a lot of Benfica fans listening to this think badly of him. And I know his form really dipped at the end of last season. 
but he's made 50 appearances from B, for Benfica. This is a guy who captained their B team. I know he's not in the best form. He was good enough to play 50 times for them in the past, and he will be good enough to do it again with the right coaching and the right support. But he is just not going to get that from George Jesus. The only, I mean, the only saving grace out of it is that they're they're still in touch and distance of the league. I know they're still going to get through this group in the in the Europa League probably. You've you've expressed it really well. I think I do think there's this building momentum of dissatisfaction with Benfica fans and all Jesus, and mainly because it's just so evident on the pitch that things aren't going to plan. And in some cases, you can't even work out what his plan is. The quality of the players is what's getting them out of these sticky situations. Hopefully it's going to get better, but <laughs> it's quite difficult watching them at the moment. It's, it's really frustrating. I was so angry when that um, Rangers game finished and I'm not even a Benfica fan. And I was like, why am I letting this stress me out so much? <laughs> well, as we said, they're playing Maritimo tonight. 10 minutes gone in that game. It's currently nil-nil. If they get some points on the board, things will be looking a lot better. But that just covers up the fact that there's a lot of issues at Benfica in this moment in time. I'd like to see the handshake between the Dito Vidigo and Jorgesus at the end of that game. <laughs> uh, so I watched Sporting on Saturday. Um, <laughs> I don't really, there's not much to say about this game. I, I mean, it's like we say every week, Poe is really a good footballer. <laughs> <laughs> like, there was a lot of talk before a game, he might be missing this an injury. The only thing I thought about, you could rest him. I, it's clearly he's not being rested because he's such an important part of this squad. But like I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, there's a lot of players on that bench who want to be playing. Mm. And I've picked out Jovan Cabral, mainly because Jovan Cabral's going through this contract situation at the moment where he's signed until 2023, but they wanted to get him to 2025. Um, and I think there's a they're stumbling over the release clause because he's currently on 66 million and Sporting wouldn't put that up to 100 million if he was to sign him for an extra two years. Wow. Now, I wouldn't be... If I was Jovan Cabral, I'm not starting... Mm. there's no way I'm increasing my release clause if, if I'm not going to be getting games I've, I know they're obviously not playing in Europe and there's not going to be so much need for squad rotation but he played a pretty strong team in uh, the tackle of Portugal and he seems to be almost setting on this same 11 week in week out now I don't know like I said it perhaps it's because Poe is such an important part of the team I mean he's man his first goal I've, I wrote down it's like Michael Owen his movement then he had that screamer from 30 yards that hit the bar and like, almost crossed the line um, a really good winner as well, uh, creating loads of chances. Um, just, oh, there's not much more we can say about the guy. The boy is flying. Interesting, I completely forgot that he was on the books at Wolves at one point. So he played for the Wolves under 23 team. That's where Family LaSalle signed him from. So I wonder if they'll be looking at him going, what, who have we let go? Who is this kid that we let go? <laughs> no, but he, man, he, the rumours are going to come flying in. There's people talking about he should be in the Portugal squad for the Euros. Mm. He is just absolutely unreal at the moment. I'm trying to think of a time where a, a player has been clearly so outstanding for such a consistent amount. Like, he hasn't dropped a single game for me. He's just been consistently outstanding. Well, the player that comes to mind, Barney, is Bruno Fernandes. Yeah, a, a great shout and who knows, Poe could be at Manchester United next, next season. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll see about that. I just want to circle back, Bailey, on your point about uh, squad rotation because it seems like uh, Ruben Amarim is a manager who likes players to earn their place. There's rumours coming out this week uh, from the sporting camp about the young centre-back Karejma, a young player who a lot of people thought would break into the team this season and have a sort of breakthrough season as one of Sporting's best youngsters. Uh, but he's been playing for the B team. Apparently he was kicking off in some way this week about 
being confined to the B team and, and he's really gone down in Ruben, Amar- Ruben Amarim's estimations and it's kind of put him further away uh, from the first team. Obviously, these are all stories that we're receiving secondhand, so we, we're not sure if they're exactly true. But the impression you get about Ruben Amarim is that he does like players to earn their place in the team. And I have to say, it's something that I respect in a manager. Yeah, I agree. But I do think with Charisma, there's obviously, he's played at, um, for Portugal under 20s, under 23s. I was aware of him before we started this podcast. He's had, he's got a name for himself, and um, the, oh, for me, he'd, he'd be getting a netto spot if he was to get into that back line. I think Fidel and Coates um, are, are really, really good, and they're not going to lose their place to him. So I don't know. This one uh, for me, this I'm surprised by this a little bit. I I think personally, I'd be wanting to play and get him experience. But like you said, he clearly must have said something. There's something going on there behind closed doors that we're we're not fully aware about. Well, I'm sure Ruben Amarim will want to bring him into the team at some point. He's shown that he wants to bring in, bring the young players through. Uh, it sounds like young Karezma has set himself back slightly by saying the wrong thing. But yeah, not one to criticise Ruben Amarim. He's guided this sporting team to top of the table and they look pretty unbeatable at the moment. We should just touch on modern ends, Barney, because they were one of the teams that we made our team in focus uh, a few weeks back and they've recently undergone a manager change. This is the first time that their new manager has taken charge of a Premier League game. For me, I thought they were pretty solid, if not offering anything spectacular. But what did you think of them? Yeah, similar. I think um, I, I thought their front three played all right. They had Walterson on the left and Perez on the right and then Andreas in the middle. Uh, Pedro Nuno was out um, for this game, sort of their main man. Mm. But they still created a few chances. I think the wingers sort of, sorry to go back to sporting, but but, but yeah, the wingers seem to get gaps in between the, the wingbacks and the centre-backs, which I think... Pedro Porro, um, for me, was a little bit at fault for the, the own goal they conceded. He should have been given a shout to Neto to let Watson, uh, to let him know that Watson was behind him. But yeah, no, otherwise, I think, yeah, they did all right to keep it just to two goals. And they created a few challenges. I think when Pedro Nuna comes back, I'm hoping, uh, hopefully they'll be playing better. But yeah, I think it was smart for them to go with the three. And like I said, they were, they were finding gaps here and there, but nothing to write home. So we're going to have a look at the table now in a bit more detail. Um, we've already spoken about the teams that make up the top four. Uh, Sporting on 22, Braga at 18, Porto 16 and Benfica are playing now on 15. So they could go up to second if they beat Maritimo. But next you've got um, Vittorio Garage, who despite what felt like a really poor start to the season, find themselves in fifth, uh, just two points behind Benfica. Just quite a going about their business really. Yeah, they're a team that we have been keeping an eye on because of you know their English players, but... They're a team we knew were Europa League contenders in years gone by. I saw them play in the Europa League, I believe, last year. So, yeah, they must be pretty happy with how their season's going so far. Yeah, I think uh, Jao Henriques is, like I said, just quietly sorting things out quite nicely. Um, good win against Tondeo, 2-0 on Friday. Just a nice, solid win. And, importantly, not conceding. They made a few... I think I saw Issa Suleiman lost his space, uh, lost his um, place in the back line. I think he's, they're still working out what their best back line is. So we'll have to see what he does and um, who, he, who he ends up setting on. And the same for Passos Ferreira, uh, who are just behind them on 11 points with a game in hand too. Just up there nicely. I mean, obviously the win against Porto recently was good and then they won on Friday night as well. Yeah, I think that was two wins in a row that's impressed us now, Barney. And like you say, quietly found themselves up in sixth position fighting for Europa League spot. Uh, Luther Singh, again, a player that impressed me, impressed me against Porto. 
And he impressed me again uh, in their 2 0 win over Family Lazar at the weekend. There's a few good players in that team, Barney, and I think they could be dark horses for a Europa League spot. Yeah, I agree. And I think uh, Pepe, the manager, seems to be building things slowly but surely. I think uh, I, I, Douglas Tank impressed me in the highlights I saw as well. A, a team I wouldn't be surprised to see stay in that end of the table. Just behind them, though, uh, you've got Nacional, uh, still up there, Santa Clara, and Riav all on 10 points. Riav with a bad result against uh, Gil Vicente. Um, yesterday um, who already seemed to be on a sort of new manager bounce with uh, Ricardo Suarez coming now on the helm there Lorenzi for Gil Vicente looked really good in this game man. Uh, the number seven I think he's one to keep an eye on well Gil Vicente were one of two teams this week to pull themselves out of the relegation out of the relegation out of the relegation zone of course uh, Gil Vicente beat Rio Ave 2-0 a bit of a surprise win that for me and Porto Menendez beating Nacional 1-0 yeah, that's a good result. I mean, when we get to the second half of the table, Albert, there's not been a consistent team who, maybe, maybe we could say friends, but there's not been a team who's consistently, like, I feel should be down there. Mm. Uh, they keep getting a result here and there. And, and So I think this half of the table is going to be fascinating to keep an eye on the rest of the season. I mean, you've got um, Framilisau on nine points, then you've got Tondeev, Gio Vicente, Moriens, uh, Bellinens, all on eight points. Porchman's on seven, Boa Vista on seven, and then Ferenz on five points. But yeah, like I said, they just it's quite condensed down there, I feel. I was disappointed with uh Bovista just getting a draw at the weekend. I thought that was a they could have got points there. It was a winnable game, Barney, but I did watch this one and funnily enough, I was relatively pleased with the Bovista performance because in the past what we've seen from them is kind of erratic performances, very up and down, very inconsistent. Whereas in this game, they did have a quite consistent rhythm, they looked relatively solid at the back. And while they never broke down the uh, Belenenge defence, they did look pretty positive. It's a very even game between those two teams, actually. Uh, Angel Gomez, of course, ran the show. Uh, Gustavo Sauer was very good. They played Georges Bengouche up front. I'm not sure if you've seen much of him, Barney, but uh, quite a big physical presence. Um, I was relatively impressed with him. And for me, it was Reggie Cannon's best game in a Burvista shirt so far. Yeah, I wanted to talk about Reggie Cannon um, a couple of weeks ago when we looked at the international call-ups. Um, mainly because I felt like with the USA team, he was sort of trying to cement his spot at right-back. But now you've had the emergence of uh, Sergio Desta, who's just moved to Barcelona from Ajax. Yeah, yeah. And what's interesting to me, is I just wonder how the Portuguese league is seen in America. Obviously, Alice has moved there. There's been a lot. And I feel that there's a lot of interest in, the, the, in Reggie Cannon's career still. I think he's a good player. I think he's a good right-back. I think, obviously, if you're competing against somebody who's playing and starting for Barcelona, then that's going to go against you. But what's confusing me is that I feel like he was ahead of Dest in the starting spot before these two moves happened in the summer. Well, I think the difference was he was playing for an American team. And I think possibly a lot of American fans and the uh, maybe the American coaching staff liked the fact that they had a young player playing for an American team in their starting eleven. He's impressed me more every time I've watched him. From the very first game of the season where he looked pretty scared, to be honest, to their last game against Belenenz when uh, he looked so positive uh, and really bossed that game, I thought. Yeah, and I think with Bovista, Albert Ellis to come back in, and I think he's and might be out at the moment, but I think when he was back in, I think it's such a shame he didn't play last game because uh, he obviously got his first goal uh, the game before. But when he's back, I think he should be able to get him.
Well, it's that time of the podcast where we talk about our team in focus. Each week, we pick one lesser-known team from the division and do some research and come up with a bit of history about the club to give you guys and ourselves a better understanding of who they are and their place in Portuguese football. This week, we're talking about Portimonense, one of the few teams in the top flight from the south of Portugal. We've talked before about how the Premier League and Portuguese football in general is dominated by northern teams, uh, which is quite interesting considering that Lisbon is the main economic centre of the country and the capital city. I think it's a similar situation, Barney, to what we have here, where a lot of the traditional manufacturing and industrial towns in the north uh, have some of the biggest football teams in the country. And if you look at a map of the teams in the Premier League, only Ferenc and Portimonense are in the south, with three teams in Lisbon and the rest all in the north of the country. Portimao is the second biggest town in the Algarve, and Portimonense are certainly one of the biggest southern teams in Portuguese football history. They were founded in 1914 by a group of friends, not businessmen as we've seen in some of the other teams, who were essentially just football enthusiasts uh, and wanted a team to represent their hometown. They initially played in friendly matches against local teams and the National Algarve Cup, and in more recent times, the club have been an ever-present in the top two divisions of Portuguese football, going back as far as the 1970s, probably experiencing their most successful decade in the 1980s, which saw them... Uh, remain in the top tier throughout that decade, finishing as high as fifth in 1985 and competing in the UEFA Cup uh, the following year. The club have reached the semi-finals of the Taça de Portugal three times in 1983, 87 and 88 and won the club's first ever silverware in 2017 when they won the second division title. I've, I feel like this is sort of almost typical for a lot of the clubs we've been looking into there. You know, their top is like fifth or sixth, um, mm. not much silverware. Interesting though with this one about, yeah, like you say, the geographical location and the fact that this was started by a group of friends. I had a look into sort of some of their ex-players, players who perhaps come through their academy. The only one who stood out is uh, João Moutinho, started in the under-15s before the sporting snaps him up. Oh, wow. But yeah, I, apart from that, they haven't sort of produced any um, anyone big. And then, yeah, when I, perhaps my favourite thing is um, the odds at the beginning of the season that they, they had. Okay. Now I'm still I think you know more I'm still a little bit confused about why Portsmouth stayed up last season and right, didn't right. get relegated. So what happened there? So last season two teams were meant to be relegated. Avish, who finished dead bottom of the league, and Portimonense, who finished the place just above them. And I mentioned this before in my discussion as the two well team quite close to my heart, uh, who are obviously not in the Premier League currently. Um you can go back and listen to a few of our episodes where we talk about Shatubal. But essentially what happened was on the last day of the season, Chetubal got the result they needed to put them one place above Portimonense. They thought they were going to stay up. But obviously, for financial reasons, Chetubal were then forcibly relegated to the third tier. And that meant that uh, Portimonense were given a kind of reprieve. So yeah, very lucky to stay up last season. Yeah, so on the basis of that, I was expecting to be rock bottom of the odds and sort of who was to go down, but they were actually um, above Maritimo, Tonde and Nacional, which surprised me. So the manager, Paolo Sergio, who came in um, January, February last year, looks like a really interesting manager. I think has a, 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 obviously played a massive part in them staying, eventually staying up last season. He's been all over the place as a manager. Um, he started in Portugal, uh, the likes of Passos, uh, Vittorio Grimaldi's. He even got the, the sporting job at one point. He took over from uh, Carlos Carvalho and, and got sporting to the last 32 of the Europa League. Uh, they actually lost to Rangers. Um, mm. And then he went, and this is where, after this sporting job, he went 
all over the place. Um, he went to Hearts, he went to Cluj in Romania, managed a team in Cyprus and Saudi Arabia, United Arab Emirates, the Persian League. And now he's back at Portsmouth and ends. I quite like the sounds of him, Albert. Like, I think he was quite brave to sort of take all these jobs abroad and go to different places. I think he had a really tough time at heart, so right. I don't think he went too well from there. But he seems to be, he likes to use his flair players. He's got, obviously, Bo Morte, Lucas uh, Fernandes in the middle. Um, but then it's also made them more solid with uh, really in Russia, the Brazilian centre-back playing, uh, really being instrumental in that. We also mentioned last week when we were chatting to Jamie, um, a decision to give Samuel the number one spot in goal. Keep it from the under twenty threes when they've got um, Japanese international and a you know really, really experienced goalkeeper, mm. and just give it like just saying no, Samuel, you're my number one this season, and that's pro- that's proved really good. Yes, but looking at the rest of the team, there's um, players that have caught my eye so far. I've mentioned Lucas Fernandez in the middle already, um, but Denner as well. Uh, he's been with them since the since 2014. Uh, Brazilian midfielder, really solid box to box. Has got a lethal shot in him. And then someone you might be familiar about, uh, Sam Allardyce's man, Ricardo Vazte, is on of the course. books as well. Yes. He's not starting every game at the moment, but um, uh, he's been there a season or two now. And then, of course, uh, Bo Morte, uh, Luis Bo Morte's nephew. I really like him. He's a sort of, you know, a winger, but he's got that physical presence, which I quite like. And another thing which I find is a bit unique for Portsmouth Ends is that they don't just look to Brazil um, for their players when they're in their transfer business. They've... Um, They've got two Japanese internationals in the squad, and Gonda and uh, Anzai, the wing back. Um, and then, obviously, the uh, player we haven't yet seen, but I'm really excited to, is a Safari Rashid from Malaysia, who mm. is, um, who's brought so much attention from that side of the world. Um, and I think people are really looking forward to seeing him uh, getting a game. And he's one of these flair players as well, I think. That I see, so I think he will feature at some point. But perhaps for me, Albert, the biggest dealing in the transfer window was the departure of Bruno Tabitha to Sporting. I think he was one of their best players. Well, he was the, their best player last season um, and it will be a really big loss. And then not as big a loss, um, but uh, Jackson Martinez uh, retired, um, former Atletico Madrid and Porto striker. Of course, yeah. I totally um, forgot he was with them. It was on loan from China and, um, and then got a move there. But... So for somebody watching Porto Menendez for the first time, Barney, what can they expect? Well, like I mentioned, it's more about solidity since he's coming. I think there was, at his time at Hearts, um, Paolo Sergio uh, was described as the, which of course I imagine a lot of Portuguese managers get when they go abroad, um, as being a Mourinho type figure, you know, you can right. park a bus, etc. But I think that's a, a little bit unfair. But I also do like the, they're not afraid to play with wingers and, and their fullbacks aren't afraid to get up there as well. I, I think Anzai, the Japanese right back, I think he could play on the left as well, was very attacking minded. And then the two Brazilian midfielders, uh, Lucas Fernandes and Dena, I, I really like the look at them. I think they're de- decent players, uh, quite skillful. And I think they'll be a good team to watch, actually. More interesting than their results suggest, I think. Well, for anybody who wants to catch Porto Menendez in action, their next game is on the 5th of December against Vitoria Guimarães, a team that we've been watching quite closely this season. Well, if you want to listen back to any of our other Team in Focus features, they go back as far as episode five of our podcast, and we featured teams such as Modernens, Maritimo, Rio Ave, and CD Nacional. Right, well, that's nearly all we've got time for in this episode of our podcast. Just time for me and Barney to check in on our fantasy football teams. We've missed it these last few weeks without any Premier League action. I'm not entirely sure Barney agrees with that, but uh, Barney, how have you done this week? As per usual, mixed bag. Um, <laughs> got uh, 12 points to Reggie Cannon as my sub-captain. Fantastic. Which is lovely. Um, but then I had uh, Lemurius from Famas as my captain in the junior play. 
And then the only other good one really, uh, Rodrigo Pino's um, obviously got his goal against Benfica as we speak. He's got been five points so far. How about you? Well, I made one decision this week, Barney, which pretty much sums up my fantasy football career. I, uh, of course, made the obvious decision of bringing in Pedro Gonçalves, Pote, into my team. No-brainer. For some reason, I decided to leave Ryan Gould as captain, though. So <laughs> I've got Ryan Gould on two points as my captain and Pedro Gonçalves on 13. Other than that, Esquire's got me six points. Bruno Varela's got me eight points, which I'm pleased with. But not much else to write home about other than that. 46 in total. I've had better weeks. I'll have better weeks in the future. Well, I've only got 39, so you did pretty good, man. Well, in the nicest possible way, Barney. Having more points than you this season has not been too difficult. <laughs> <laughs> right, but all that remains is for us to give you some game recommendations for the upcoming Premier League week. And this week uh, in the Premier League, you can catch on Saturday, the 5th of December, Sporting versus Family Sal at 6 o'clock. That will be on the Free Sports app. And the game following that at 8.30 is FC Porto versus Tondela again on the Free Sports app. So plenty of football available to watch if you want to. Barn, if you had to pick a game of the week to recommend, what would it be? If you're looking away from the big four, um, perhaps you can catch Riyadh and Bervista on Sunday at 5.30. That could be quite a good game. Barbo is uh, Benfica versus Passos. I think uh, Passos won a good run of form and Benfica aren't really so there could be points dropped there. You can catch Benfica versus Passos Ferreira again on the Live Score app and on Free Sports at 8pm on Sunday the 6th of December. Well, that's all we've got time for this week. Uh, if you want to get in contact with the podcast, you can email us. Uh, that's longballfootball at gmail.com or if you want to send us a message on Twitter, that's at longballfootball. Uh, but for now, we'll say thank you very much for listening and we'll see you next week. Yeah, next week, man.